Brilliant. It's so, it really is so good to be here. Thank you for having us. And it really does feel like we're amongst family uh, and friends. Some of you we've known for some time, and some of you we're getting to know, uh, so new friends as well. And uh, it's great for us to have part of our team here as well. So Anne and I uh, are part of the apostolic team uh, for Christ Central Churches, and Roger, uh, who many of you will know uh, because of the family connection. But Roger's here with two hats on, if you can wear two hats, uh, not just dad, today, but part of our apostolic team as well. And uh, the, the thing about the apostolic team is we're friends first, we're friends together. And the thing about our values as Christ Central Churches is that our, oh, well, there you go, it says it here, it says it on the board. Um, the, the, the first value, if you can read it there, the first value is being friends enjoying God together. So that really is our first value, that we are friends together. And everything that we do is based and built out of relationship together. So it's so good to call many of you friends. It's also good to be meeting new friends. Uh, we had the privilege of uh, having a meal with Jakob and his family, with well, his kids. Um, and uh, many of you will know Jakob, who leads the uh, Centro Church in Gothenburg. And uh, it's just great to be friends with other churches, isn't it? It's great not to be isolated, not to be independent, but to link arms and to be friends across the city. And uh, so this afternoon from this meeting, uh, I'm going uh, and to speak at their church. I said to Jakob, don't worry, it'll be a different message. You won't hear the same one twice. Uh, and then tomorrow night, to be able to pray together, I'd really encourage you, if you think, oh, Monday night, I really want to go out Monday night, please come out on Monday night. And just this hour and a half, just stand with us and pray for the city. Uh, I believe God hears our prayers. I believe God answers our prayers. I believe God is sovereign, but his sovereignty, he is moved by the prayers of his people. And he pours out his spirit to cry out within us uh, his prayers and his heart and his uh, love for the city. And I believe God does love the city. And God, it's so good to see you guys growing. Last time we were here, you were much smaller. Uh, it's great to see you growing in numbers. It's great to see you growing in nations as well. So if, if you are, if you would not say that Sweden was your first place of birth, if you like, your first heritage, because I know that some of you like, you know, We've nationalised now, but and we are really are Swedish. We've got our residents or whatever. But you know, maybe you weren't born in Sweden. Maybe Sweden wasn't your first place uh, of uh, belonging. Maybe you could just raise your hand. Wow! And keep your hand up. And keep your hand up. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hear shout out what nation you're from. And if if it's the same nation, it doesn't matter. But I just love to hear it. Yeah, well, I love the way he... he like, uh, <laughs> oh, well, I, I kind of hoped you would say Wales. <laughs> Wales. Wales. England. England. Ireland. Hey. China. Yay. So, Joburg being... South Africa. Yay. Sri Lanka. Oh, sorry. Germany. India, Zimbabwe, Brazil, Brazil. I think we're going to get a lot of Brazilian. I don't know why, I just get that feeling. Brazil, Brazil, yeah. Australia, India, South Africa, Brazil, India, Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. Let's just keep saying Brazil. England, 
UK? India. 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 Hmm? Congo. Congo. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Isn't that so prophetic? We'll come on to talk about this a little later. But I think it's so wonderful to see that this is the church that Jesus is gathering. He is building his church. And I've been thinking a lot about what we're doing today. So I don't know how prepared you are for what we are going to be doing. But just to let you know what we're going to be doing. At 10 past uh, 12, whatever is happening, whatever I'm doing, whatever we're doing in this room at 10 past 12, we will be invaded by... The children, who are not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. So when we talked about appointing elders in the church, we thought actually the, ch- the elders are the elders for the children and for the children's workers as much as they are for the whole church. So it's going to be a bit chaotic, but they're going to come and join us at 10 past 12. And then for 20 minutes, we'll finish at half 12, at 20 minutes we're going to together as the family of God with our friend who represents the city of Gothenburg and the other church in Gothenburg, we're going to recognise the very first eldership ever here in God First Church, which is a really great thing to do. Now, as Josh says, it's going to be the first of many recognitions of leaders in the church. There's going to be all sorts of leaders recognised over the years, men and women, young and old, different nationalities working together. There'll be many more eldership people who will step into eldership over the years. But this is the first and I would say foundational part of the church. And in the Bible, oh, and by the way, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, he says this. Timothy, you're a young guy. Timothy was a young guy. He said, Timothy, remember the prophetic words that came when the elders laid hands on you. He just said, remember. We don't know what they were, but he says, remember them. Paul knew what they were. Timothy knew what they were. It's like, come, Timothy, remember those words. Well, you don't remember things that don't happen. So things need to happen. We need to have some prophetic words today so that Josh and Nina and Alid and Chloe and the whole church can remember those prophetic words. And I don't believe those prophetic words are just going to come through Anne and I, Roger, Jacob. They're going to come through the body of Christ. In fact, I'm going to be preaching this afternoon. This is heads up, Jacob. I'm going to be preaching this afternoon in uh, Centro uh, about the church in Antioch. And it says in the church in Antioch, it talks about all the leaders that were there, different nationalities. It talks about the ministers that there, apostles and prophets. It said, while they were praying, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul. He's just mentioned all these leaders by name. But when it comes to the apostolic sending of Barnabas and Saul, and we know him as the Apostle Paul, who is probably the greatest missionary that ever lived, it just says the Holy Spirit said. We don't know who the Holy Spirit spoke through. It could just be anyone, because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And we're all sheep today. I don't know whether you heard uh, me speak here a few weeks ago via video uh, about the shepherding leadership, shepherding eldership. And one of the things about shepherding eldership is that it encourages all the sheep to hear the voice of the good shepherd. All of us can hear his voice. Young? Uh, We won't go old. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) Young and old, different nationalities. So some nationalities are a little bit more front-footed 
you know, Brazilians might be a little bit more, you know, they weren't too shy, were they, the Brazilians? They were like, Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. And, uh, you know, but then we got, no, Congo. It's like, very, very gentle. I had to even ask, because twice, just to say it, because you're, you're gentle, he said, Congo. But don't feel that just because you have a national quietness or a national loudness, that that really matters, because we need to hear loud voices, we need to hear quiet voices. We even, Eric, need to hear some Swedish voices. It's important. So whatever language, nationality you are, we'd love to hear your voice this afternoon when we pray for these guys. We'd love for you to prophesy over them. Now, not everyone's going to have a chance to prophesy over them, otherwise it would take too long. I mean, Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 14, you can all prophesy one by one. So it's kind of biblical, we could but it would take a long time and they'd be chucking us out of the building and we wouldn't better get to Centro this afternoon. But if you've got a prophetic word that you haven't had a chance to bring, then can I encourage you to write it down, email it, just church suite, give you a feedback thing or comment thing. and However you normally communicate with the church, let us know because those words we want to treasure and keep. So I've been thinking about what we're doing today this afternoon. And I think it's really foundational what we're doing. In fact, there's lots of images in the Bible about the body of Christ. In fact, I've just given you one, the body of Christ. Paul talks about a body with many members and ears and eyes and feet and hands and parts that are not so mentionable, Paul even says. It's kind of funny, but it's like the whole body matters. Bits we see, bits we don't see, internal organs. And you don't know that your body is healthy or unhealthy until something happens. And sometimes it can be something internal, sometimes you can't see. Sometimes it can be an injury you've got. And when you're injured or you're sick, you really know about it, don't you? And we want to see this body being healthy. But the Bible talks about lots of other images of the church. The bride of Christ. We're the bride being beautifully prepared for her husband. And heaven it said it's going to be a celebration, a consummation, a celebration. The wedding supper of the Lamb has come. And we as the bride are going to enjoy relationship with Jesus in a kind of way that looks a little bit like husband and wife and intimacy and fellowship and friendship together. Isn't that beautiful? Now, we enjoy a bit of that ahead of time, but we're going to enjoy that in eternity as the bride of Christ. You get things like the body, you get things like the bride, you get things like the army. We're the army of God. There's, there's something, we're not just messing about here. There's warfare involved. And uh, actually, we, we've kind of tasted a little bit of warfare even this weekend. You've got to taste that we're, we're contending for something. As we put this first eldership in, we're fighting for something. And Paul uses fighting terminology quite often in his letters. He talks about us corporately having the armour of God and being able to fight against an enemy. We don't fight with flesh and blood, although sometimes it feels like we do. We fight against an enemy, principality. We're the army of God. There's lots of these metaphors in the Bible. Bride, body, army. Family is another one. I would say family is probably pretty much the top one when it's talking about the church, brothers and sisters, older brothers, young, older fathers, mothers. It's a very intimate picture of close relationships together. But the one I want to kind of focus on today, it, it's, not the most, you know, it's not the most intimate one, 
but it's one of the most robust ones, and that's this. It's a building. We are the building. We are the temple of God. The Bible talks about us having like living stones, living bricks, built together to be a habitation, a house, a building, a temple. Actually, the fulfillment of the actual temple, the temple in Jerusalem, or the tabernacle in the wilderness, that was just a picture of the church. We are the building of God. So I've got some verses that I wrote down yesterday. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, Paul says this, You are God's building, God's house. Hebrews 12, 21 to 23 says this, You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. When you worship, when you, when you, when you, you haven't come to a mountain, you haven't come to Mount Zion, the old mountain. He said, you've come to the new mountain. He's come, you've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, the church of the firstborn. We're a city, we're a building, a city, a dwelling. And then, of course, Jesus says this. We've quoted this this morning in the prayer meeting, Matthew 16, verse 18. And interestingly enough, Roger's wife, Cheryl, just sent through the exact same text as a prophetic word for us this morning. Jesus said this, I will build my church so it's a building it needs building and the very next verse is and the gates of hell will not prevail you think huh what's the gates of hell got to do with building the church well i'll tell you what when you build the church when you put foundations in when you build living stones and living bricks together when you build an edifice up so that it will be filled as it says in in ephesians chapter 2 it says it will be filled with the glory of god when you do that the enemy doesn't it's like oh well Game over, fair enough, you know, you win. No, he's not happy. The enemy is not happy with that. And we prayed very specifically this morning. In fact, I got, my whole, I got the whole apostolic team of Christ Central Churches today praying for us today for protection. See, we're not frightened of the enemy, but neither are we unaware of his schemes. We know that he seeks to exploit us. He goes for weakness. He goes for vulnerability. And we need to pray, and we will pray later, for protection on us. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So there's something foundational happening as we recognize the first eldership team here in God First. In fact, I was looking it up. I found it in Titus. It's funny. It always makes me laugh in Titus 1, verse 5. Paul says this, The reason I left you on Crete dot, 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 was not to have a nice holiday. That might be quite nice to go to Crete. I'm quite dreaming of a nice sunny holiday on a Greek island. Um, The reason I left you on Crete, Paul says, was so that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. Such a lot in that verse. Apostolic authority, like I've directed you, I've directed you, Titus, I've told you, you know the ones, that, that, those ones that we already identified in those towns? Now go and do it, because if you don't do it, they're not straight. They're slightly crooked. Now I don't mean this to be in any way offensive, because Eric has lent us his beautiful apartment. But there's something slightly strange about Eric's apartment. Have you, anyone ever been in Eric's apartment? And Yeah. What, what's, when you walk in, you don't quite realise. And, and my dad had the same thing. My dad had an office uh, and my dad was a lawyer, he had an office, and it was built on 
When they dug a tunnel in Victorian times, all the stuff they dug out of the tunnel, they mounded it up in a big pile in our hometown and built houses on it. Really, it's not the most stable thing. And all my dad's office started to go like that. And I remember as a kid, he had one of those glass, like um, a paperweight thing, but it was like a round glass ball. And as a kid, I used to go in his office and put it on one end of the floor and it rolled down the other. When you walk into the office, it was like slightly disorientating. Your house just reminds me of my dad's office, but not in a bad way. It's lovely, but it's slight, you know, just going that way slightly. So we just need to pray. (laughs) There's something unstraight about a church that doesn't have a plural eldership, biblically. It's not my comment. It's not New Frontiers value. It's the Bible. Paul says, we need plural elders, not elder Not pastor, but pastors, elders, overseers. Those three words, as you heard me say on the video, used interchangeably uh, by Paul a couple of times in the Bible. Unstraight and unfinished. Now you might think, well, we're not finishing God first this morning. It's not like, that's it, it's finished, church done, planted, tick, move on, next one. No, but the foundations are finished. See, when you finish a building, when you finish the foundations... It's so that you might build upon it, so that you might go up. And I loved what Nina, oh, she's not there anymore, she's out with the kids. I love what, no, no, you're back, thank you, Nina. I love what Nina bought this morning, about, she didn't know what I was going to speak, and about new rooms being opened up for us. I felt that was so prophetic. I think there are new rooms to be developed and explored in this church. As the foundation, as the floor goes in, Once that foundation is in, I mean, you can't build on a foundation that's not solid, but once the foundation is in, and eldership is part of that foundation, the whole thing that's part of it, then actually it's solid. You can start to build new rooms. Rooms of reaching the nations, rooms of mission, rooms of outreach, rooms of hospitality, rooms of social action and mercy ministries, rooms of discipleship, rooms of blessing marriages and healing and restoring family relationships, rooms of helping the brokenhearted. There's going to be new rooms built that we couldn't have done when we were tiny because we were just like getting the foundations in. But now the foundations are in today, partly complete today. We can then go up. And I believe God wants to add prophetically new things to you today. And like Anne said, some of us have been going around a revolving door, just doing the same thing again. You know, if you get stuck in, as a kid, we had one shop in our local town that had that. And I just love as a kid, just going round and round and round. But after you've done that a few times, first of all, you get nowhere. Secondly, you get a bit sick. I thought we were going to get a bit sick when Anne got us going round and round at first. I thought, oh, I'm a bit disorientated. Listen, it's to go through into the superstore, into some new development, some new things that God wants to do amongst us. So the verses that I really felt stirred on for us today, and don't worry, we'll finish at 10 past. So these verses here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. And again, it talks about, it's another passage that Jesus talks about building the church like a city. And it says in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you are the light of the world. In fact, he's already said he's the light of the world. And that would be enough for me, Jesus being the light of the world. And I think if it didn't say it in the Bible, and I'd said it to you today, you'd think it was blasphemous. Because Jesus is the light of the world, surely. How can we be the light of the world? Well, we're going to talk about it in a minute. 
Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city, and the city that we know biblically that he's talking about here is the church, a city built on a hill shouldn't be hidden. It's not supposed to be hidden. It's supposed to be seen in the same way Let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I just want to unpack very quickly just four phrases that come out of that passage. Firstly, you are the light of the world. You really are. You see, when you become a Christian, we were talking about this in one of the small groups, when you become born again, something is born within you. Paul, Jesus' terminology is being born again. Paul's terminology is a new creation has started. Something new has happened. It's not just, well, I used to follow this set of values, now I follow this set of values. You know, I used to follow that diet, now I follow this diet. I used to support that sports thing, now I support this sports thing. I used to go there for shopping and that coffee shop, now I do this. I've just changed a few priorities in my life. No, something radical has happened to you. When you become a Christian, it's like a new birth. It's like a new creation. It's like something new has been formed in you. And when Paul talks about it, he talks about it like The original creation, when light came out of darkness, came out of nowhere, and the world was formed. He uses words like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts. So it's his light. It's not our light. It's his light. But he's made it shine in our hearts. To give us the light. You know, that's a popular, in England, I don't know what it's like in your country, but that's a popular expression for becoming a Christian. I've seen the light. (laughs) And of course, for Paul, it was true. Paul was blinded, literally, by a light when he was Saul, breathing out murderous threats. He said he fell down. He said it was about noonday. And that's not just a time check. It's not just, oh, like, 2.30 in the afternoon, 4 o'clock in the evening. It's not like he was just telling the time. The reason he says noon is in the Middle East, and if any of you have been to the Middle East, you'll know at noonday the sun is shining at its brightest and its brilliance. We wouldn't notice it in Manchester. It doesn't really matter whether it's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 5 o'clock. I mean, it's like grey skies. But in the Middle East, where Paul's writing, it's like at noonday, one appeared brighter than the noonday sun. And his brilliance was all around me, and I fell as though dead. John gets exactly the same experience on the Isle of Patmos. In fact, he uses exactly the same language. About noon, one who was shining brighter than the sun appeared to me, and I fell at his face. I fell down as good as dead. John uses exactly the same language as Paul does. But something then of the Spirit of God was shone into the heart of Paul, and the light was turned on. When you became a Christian, however long ago it was, for me it was 50 years ago, I became a Christian 51 years ago coming up. Think about how long it was when you became a Christian. Whether you knew it or not, a light came on. Whether you knew it or not, something supernatural happened to you, you became a living light. Now some of us feel like we're stadium spotlights. You know, like we're these amazing bright lights that shine. 
Some of us kind of feel that. Like we're, we're just, you know, perhaps you don't. Perhaps you just feel like me. I feel like a little candle sometimes, you know, blowing in the wind. <laughs> so I just feel like I've got this tiny little light. But you know what? In the darkest night, even the dullest flame burns bright. And God has put you in some pretty dark situations. In this culture, in this city, in your office, in your neighbourhood, in your family. God's put you in some pretty difficult situations. And people often say to me as a pastor, why has God put me in this difficult situation? Why has God put me in this neighbourhood that's difficult? Why has God put me in this office environment that's difficult? Why has God put me in this family that's difficult? Why? why? So that the light may shine. He's put you into darkness, not to snuff the darkness out. When John writes about it, he says the light, the true light that's coming into the world, no one can overcome it. Actually, the light is going to overcome darkness. Darkness never overcomes light. Light always overcomes darkness. And your light is going to shine. This verse says, let your light shine before men. You are the light of the world. Right, it's 12 o'clock, we've got 10 minutes. Just have a think about this right now with me. Play a little game with me. Don't tell me out loud. Where will you be at 12 o'clock tomorrow? Just think about it. That's where he wants you to shine the light. See, we kind of think it's all about the church. It's all about us being the city on a hill, the light here. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But actually, it's tomorrow. He's just as interested at 12 o'clock tomorrow as he is at 12 o'clock on Sunday. In fact... I might even say he's even a bit more interested in that, about where your light's going to shine. So that's my first point. You are the light of the world. Second point says this. A city built on a hill shouldn't be hidden. And I want to just encourage you as God First Church. God wants to bring you out of obscurity. He wants to bring you out of being hidden and take you centre stage. He wants your light to be more visible in the city. He wants your small groups to be more visible in the communities where they gather. Where you gather of prayer, where you gather for discipleship together, Jesus said we're two or three, and it's hard to have a meeting with less than that, I've checked, where two or three gather in my name, there am I. There the light really shines. There's something about multiplication of light together that amplifies the light, And we become the very dwelling place of God. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, he he equates it to like the building of the temple. And if you remember in Solomon's temple, when Solomon's temple was dedicated, it said when they dedicated it, the glory of the Lord came and filled the temple. So that even the priests couldn't minister, they fell flat on their faces. When we gather, we're the new temple. And the glory of the Lord, whether you felt it or not this morning, the glory of the Lord was among us. The joy of the Lord was upon us and the glory of the Lord was resting on us. And as you go out from this place, you go out different. Now, I just noticed this morning as I put my hand in my pocket, I've still got one of these dreaded things. Because in every trouser and shorts now, I have one of these. I noticed, I don't think I've seen a single person wear them in Sweden, by the way. I had to wear them on the flight. Uh, I have to wear them in certain places, medical places. Thank God we don't have to wear them in uh, church anymore. We don't have to wear them in shops anymore. Thank God for that. But there was a time when you kind of had to be... It's horrible, isn't it? 
So it brings back all those horrible memories. We had to be masked. Now, Paul uses this exact terminology. He says, do you remember when Moses went up the mountain and when he encountered God, the glory of God, he said, when he came down, the people were so aware of the glory shining from him that in order not to freak them out, he had to mask himself. He had to put a veil over his face, just like this. Probably not just like this, but similar. He, he veiled himself so they wouldn't see the glory. Now, Paul picks up this exact terminology in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, we're not to be like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the glory. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, anyone, whenever any one of you turns to the Lord, the veil, hallelujah, is taken away. And we all, with unveiled faces, now contemplate, see, look at the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed. The word is transfigured. It's the same word that was used about Jesus up the mountain. Transfigured. We're being transformed with ever-increasing glory into his image, which comes from the Lord. Now, dear friends... When you go out of this meeting, whether you realise it or not, there's something of God upon you. There's something of the glory of God upon you. Some people can actually see it. I mean, Anne and I have actually had people come up to us in settings. I mean, they, they, they don't know how to speak, but they've said things like this. Well, there's a weird aura about you. There's a weird glow about what, what is that? Weird, what is that? And it's like they don't under, And you say, what is God? And somebody else came up and said, well, you just look like the perfect couple because there's something special radiating out of you. No, we're not. We just had an argument. You know, We're really not the perfect couple. But I know what they mean. There's something of the glory of God. And when you go out tomorrow, because you've been in the glory of God in the church and because the glory of God in the church is going to come more and more visible, a city set on a hill, because God's bringing you out of the side street into the main street, because he's bringing you out of the, the small road onto the motorway, because he's bringing you out of the, the, I don't know, like the small waterway into the main sea, he's bringing you centre stage. There's going to be more glory on you as you go out and shine as the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city built on a hill can't be hidden. Third point, let your light shine before men or people that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we're not saved by good deeds. We're saved by grace. But we are saved. Come in, guys. You're welcome. We are saved for good deeds. Paul, we haven't got time now because the kids are coming back in, which is great. Paul talks in, in Ephesians about we're saved by grace, not by good deeds, but we are saved for good deeds. We're saved to do good works. We're saved to show the goodness of God, the goodness and the love of God. See, the Bible says this. It's the goodness of God or the kindness of God or the mercy of God that leads to repentance. And I believe more and more this church is going to be known for its good works, its good deeds. In fact, people will criticise us for all sorts of things. They'll criticise us for our issues of sexuality. 
They'll criticize us for our family values. They'll criticize us for our, how we handle our money. They'll criticize us for all sorts of things. But this is what Paul says. He says this in 1 Peter 2. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I believe prophetically God wants to say to you, God first, I'm going to start some good works amongst you. I'm going to start some kingdom initiatives amongst you. I'm going to start some works amongst the poor and the marginalized and the needy amongst you. And this is my final point, and I'll finish on time. Don't worry. Kids, you're so good. You're early. You're good early. Well done. Well done for coming back. Did you have a good time? Good. You are the light of the world. And I believe God just wants to, as I was praying, I believe God just wants to underline that word for you, world. God so loved the world. And what impressed me as I came in, I was talking to Jacob about it this morning, is, and that's why I started as I did, by putting your hands up if you're from different nations. Hey, and where are you from? See, si, Brazil. No, 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 no hesitation. No, uh, um, Brazil. So I love it, I love it. I love it. Right? God wants to increase the nationality of this church. He wants to increase the variety of this church because no one nation carries all of the blessing of God. No one nation can express all of the blessing of God. I believe Swedish people bring something very special to the party. It's probably Fika. I don't know. It might be Volvo or Abba. I really don't know. But it's something, you know, you bring something special to the party. But so do our brothers and sisters from the Middle East. So do our brothers and sisters from African nations represented here. So do uh, even the British bring something. And do you know what? The Brazilians bring confidence and life and celebration and fiesta and a real sense of joy. We need to see all of the nations reach. And one day in heaven, this, believe it or not, this is what heaven's going to be like. Not a long meeting, but it's going to be all nations together. So I want to commend you guys. Keep shining the light and keep going to the nations. One day I think you're going to send people to the nations. You'll send literal missionaries, literal apostolic people will go from here to nation after nation. Scandinavian countries first probably. But hey, why not, why not train up some people and send them back and plant churches in Brazil? Who knows? You know, stranger things have happened.